This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. You're listening to Liratombele on Power 98.7. Weekdays, 9 a.m. to midday. Now we're talking. All right, let's talk about stealing the steel industry and steel as in S-T-E-E-L, not theft, but fortifying and strengthening an industry that is said to be the backbone of the South African economy. But for some reason, and I think it's market forces, the availability of ore, it's the port issues, there are a lot of things, but um, the steel industry seems to be in dire straits. Now, the steel sector represents 1.5% of South Africa's GDP. In other words, economic activity in the country, 1.5% of it, you will find in the steel industry, accounting for about 190,000 direct jobs. But for every one job, we are told 10 people benefit, whether it's family or suppliers across the value chain. So when the steel industry is said to be going through a slump, you're looking at upwards of 290,000 jobs that are at risk. Also, more than 85% of South African steel consumption uh, are in industries where steel share of the product value is typically low. So in other words, the big buyers of steel don't actually need that much steel which now creates a little bit of complexity because if you're trying to create a big steel market and the big buyers are not actually big users of steel, uh, that means there's either an untapped market or the alternatives to using that steel and that adds a complexity. But don't take my word for it. Let's hear what Tafadzwa Chibanguza has to say. He's the COO of the Steel and Engineering Industries Federation of Southern Africa. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Gerardo. That's a very nice uh, intro and a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's my uh, pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. So why do we say this is the backbone of the South African economy? Why does steel matter if we're looking, if we're talking about stimulating growth in the economy? Yeah, a good starting point. Uh, Gerardo, steel virtually goes into everything in the, in our daily lives, in our commercial lives. And particularly the steel from the sector that we represent, uh, which is the steel and engineering sector. So that is the value chain is the upstream. Those numbers that you've given around the 1.5, mm. 190,000, that's mm. the upstream. Okay. We also then represent the industrial downstream, which includes your merchants, service centers, as well as heavy and light engineering. Now, in there is everything from electrical cable to power transformer. Mm to um, steel structures for the transmission network, to even the specialty steel that goes into springs, that goes into the automotive sector, um, to many other areas. So by virtue of its material content and component that it it represents, it goes into virtually every area. And that's why we refer to it as the backbone of the industrial base, because without steel, you can virtually do nothing. Okay, so let's just understand the figures. In October last year, um, we were told, and I'm looking at uh, figures from SACI, the industry body, we were told that there was a growth in crude steel production. That's just October. But by December, 
Uh, Engineering News was reporting that there was a decline year on year of 17%. So it's either I'm not understanding the two components of the steel industry or something went fundamentally wrong between October and now. Yeah, look, that's, that's one way to look at it. But I think the, there's a lot of noise in the monthly data. Um, so if you look at it on a month-to-month, you might have an, an increase. Maybe it's worth saying what we have seen is that on the back of a lot of state-funded capacity, we have had an increase in capacity, uh, mainly deals funded by the ICC. So from a, from a capacity of production, we have seen that increase to the point of even creating overcapacity, which okay. contributes to the issues that we find ourselves in now. But that said, maybe the longer-term trend is what's worth looking at. And if you look at it, um, the peak of production for steel was 2008. And uh, post the global financial crisis, the trend has been downward. And we measure that at about 1.3% on a compound basis um, for that 15-year period, right? So I think that's what's more important, the longer-term trend. And that's a result of many issues you mentioned at the beginning around global low spend on investment, etc. Okay, so so I just want us first to know what we're talking about. So, mm. yes, if we're talking about perhaps October figures, there might have been an increase in capacity, maybe even so in November. But if we're looking cumulatively, since the global crisis 2008 until now, it's just been a downward trend. Even those figures which look good are bad compared to what they were a decade before. And that's what we need to be worried about because what time is showing us is systematically, things are getting worse. Absolutely. Okay. And in fact, what you then uh, see on that is um, the announcement at the end of last year, and maybe we'll get into that by Arsenal Mitchell around its long product mm-hmm. business. It's really a culmination of structural factors coming to a head. And that's really what we see. And it's worth mentioning that, yes, that's uh, our largest steel producer that grabs the headline, but those pressure points are virtually down the okay. entire value chain. We, we we will talk about those things in a moment. Okay, so over time we're seeing a decline and that decline is not being arrested anytime soon. So the question is, why not? Because you've explained to us where we see steel in the industrial base of the country, whether we're looking at the manufacturing of automotives uh, or electrical goods. Um, we see a lot of steel in the construction center sector, in the mining sector, Auto manufacturing, they're the biggest steel users, we're told, because you can't build a building without steel. You can't build a bridge without steel. You can't do anything fundamental on the infrastructure side without steel. So if we're not seeing investment on big infrastructure in South Africa because the economy is not doing well, then I think the, you know, the corollary is that we, we're not going to see a recovery of the steel sector. Well said, well said. Ultimately, steel consumption is a function of economic activity, and maybe just to put a number to that, uh, the world over, you need GDP in the order of about uh, 2.5, going on 3%, to see a a material increase in your domestic steel consumption. And we know for the better part of that 15 years that we are discussing, um, GDP has averaged anything between 0.9 to 1%, and even lower in the the more near term. Mm. But also, you make a very good point, is that, um, again, steel... Uh, demand is a function of your gross fixed capital formation. And also those at a state level, particularly, we've seen that being virtually anemic. I think the last time I looked at those numbers, 
you were looking at, um, again, over the 15-year period on a compound basis, you look at about 0.8%. I think that was the number that I that we put out in terms of your gross fixed capital formation at state spend level. Private sector has been a bit more, but then there, there's no, there's the option to either buy local or look mm-hmm. external is also there. So again, it's not to say even if uh, spend, uh, capital spend by the private sector is, 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 showing relatively more robust numbers that spend is, is right. local. That's it. So, Tafazo, let's just use simple English here. For as long as the mm. South African economy is not growing above 1%, in other words, if we're not seeing serious growth figures, if we're also not seeing the government uh, uh, announcing proper big infrastructure projects, not pledges, but actual projects where we hear like the Minister of Transport says they've got $26 billion to fix the roads. If we don't see those roads being fixed, actually happening on the ground, then it's fair to infer that there are going to be problems in the steel industry. So we do need South Africa building again, government investing in big infrastructure, getting people working again for this number to change. So if this number is not changing... It's a real indictment of what's going on in South Africa. So what is going on in South Africa? Very well said. And I would like to add a nuance to that, right, is that also on top of not spending, what we've also seen tended to happen, which is, um, if you like, the antithesis to industrialization, is that often when we do get some spend, it's big bang in nature. So we go and do a Medupi and Kusile, which then spikes demand immediately to the extent that sometimes local companies can't even catch up. So you then, there's questions then about can local supply what's needed? And then mm. you get a dry and, and, and cold and long winter and very short summers, if I can use that analogy. We see it now. Now there's a scramble to um, build a transmission network. We've built 4,000 kilometers of transmission network over the last 10 years. Now we want to build 14,000 in 10 years in the next 10 years. We've seen it. Um, uh, the, the list is endless. This 26 billion rand that you mentioned on the road. Again, mm-hmm. it's a rush project. But I just wanted to add the nuance to the point, the very good point that you made, that if we're not spending, which we're not, that's already a problem. But okay. when we do, we need that systematic approach, a smoothing of demand, communicating that continually to industry. Um, that's, 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 that's what would get right. industry to better plan for that demand that's coming. Um, and then, of course, then that is how you build an right. industrial base sustainably. Okay, so before we we get into the market-related news, just perhaps mm-hmm. tell us how steel is manufactured. Because whenever I drive uh, to the Free State or to Furienachang, I see ArcelorMittal. I see the big fabrication and steel plants and blast, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So from my novice point of view. I'm like, we've got capacity. We, we, we've got a real, real steel manufacturing industry here. And what you're saying is, yeah, but if the economy is slow and it's weak, then they've adjusted their capacity to the slowness and the weakness. So if you wake up one day and suddenly say, we're building new airports, we're building a new power station, we're fixing roads, and we need steel right now, they can't just ramp up production. They have to go elsewhere to buy it. And that creates the complexity, because some steel is produced in the country and then some has to be imported. So who's making the steel? How do you make it? Why do we have capacity? Why don't we have capacity? Please help us understand. All right. That's a great question. And there's a number of nuances there, right? So let's start off with the production technologies, right? 
at, at, at a high level, you get two. You can make steel from iron ore, which is the traditional route. So that's a blast burn. Okay. So you have a blast furnace, you, uh, put, you, you put iron ore, coking coal, and some other ingredients, and then you produce steel from there. Okay. That's also where there's a big question around the ArcelorMittal closing um, their long steel bill. But okay. we can always unpack that at, a, at, at another point. It's the next question. The other so technology, we'll that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, definitely. The other technology is then uh, producing steel from scrap metal. So as downstream industries produce products, they produce scrap. And uh, that scrap then can then be fed back into what you call electric furnace um, uh, technology. And then also with a few other ingredients, you then make steel from there. Both technologies then achieve different qualities as well, um, which then again talks to this issue that we have now because you, you achieve higher qualities for certain uses in when through the blast furnace route, right? So that's that's another point to just highlight today as well. Um, so that's the two major routes. What you then have at play now, I mentioned and as a throwaway statement earlier around the state funded capacity that's been coming on the stream. That overcapacity has been created on the second production technology, which mm. is the scrap metal production technology um, uh, okay. uh, production process. And in there as well, there's been um, there's been preferential treatment of that segment of the market over the iron ore side, which has then created an unlevel playing ground. I which see. is, if you read the Ask the Metal Sense announcement, they do highlight that point around the scrap metal policy, which has also created an unlevel playing ground, and also that's contributed to the issue we have right now. But ultimately, in an environment where that we currently find ourselves, where we've described low spend, low economic growth, etc., okay. you then have this added capacity coming on, so you create a bubble that is not being mocked up by either domestic consumption and also the export market, which is predominantly Africa, um, um, could be an outlet as well to take out that excess capacity. But on the African continent, which is our largest trading partner from a steel sector point of view, right. it's really a case of uh, cost is your, or rather your okay. price is your competitiveness. That's okay. over above many other considerations. All right. And when you look at our domestic cost base, you then have some competitiveness right. issues as well. All right. So, so, uh, so yeah. have I understood? So there's kind of two technologies you use to manufacture steel. There's the blast mm-hmm. furnace, oxygen furnace system, which is used by big players like Arsenal Metal. And then there's the scrap metal production. Now, mm-hmm. despite the fact that the economy is slow and big companies aren't building big projects and the government isn't spending on big infrastructure, despite all of those things that pushes demand lower, is the cost of producing steel using one or other technology. And the scrap metal production seems to be the cheaper way to do it. And and it seems to be the one that people have opted for, which then leaves big companies like the ArcelorMittal in limbo because demand is low um, and the technology that they're using pushes up the prices and, and, and. Have I understood this sort of correctly? Perfectly. Okay. Although I would only add one nuance that the, when you refer to cheaper on the arc furnace side, yeah. it's actually been a policy-induced uh, discount. Uh-huh. And not a, and this is where the issue comes in, that it's not a total steel sector view that's been taken here um, in terms of you're building a steel sector industrial base and then you level the playing ground by 
making sure that what is enjoyed as a policy-induced discount is also the same on the other side. It's only been to one segment of the market. I will just add that part to your correct okay. analysis. All right. So then let's talk about ArcelorMittal announcing that it will be closing uh, its operations in Newcastle and Ferenigheng. Now, uh, as well as Oslo Rail and Structural. So, if I remember correctly, ArcelorMittal was once ISCO, I think it is. So, it's one of those old legacy uh, industries, firms that were meant to really harness South Africa's industrial capacity by being the big player in the steel manufacturing fabrication sector. And now things are changing. That's correct. Things are changing right now. And so, correct, firstly, it is the largest steel producer domestically. Um, they also have both technologies, by the way, I must make that point, okay. right? Uh, the blast furnace is their larger side, which is the iron ore side, and then they also have some scrap um, uh, uh, technologies as well. Um, but also, one must make the point that um, being part of a larger Global group, they also have access to the best because the also metal international is the largest, the second largest steel produced globally. So they also have wow. access to those, um, to those, to those um, mm-hmm. expertise, if you like, at group level. Right. But the broader point really is that what is plaguing the outcome, or rather, what is plaguing the company, are mainly domestic factors. Again, they were also touched on in the ASEAN's announcement, and that's firstly the electricity issues because this is an electric uh, electricity intensive process. There's also the logistics issues, which in a way they've highlighted a number of times that in a way the logistics issues are probably worse for them than the electricity side because the nature of a blast furnace is that you can't switch on and off that uh, that furnace. So if you are not getting um, ore to the plant or there's a risk of ore not getting to the plant, you have a very big problem. So the logistics issues present a massive, massive um uh, uh, supply side risk for them, and then of course, then there's the um, scrap uh, 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 policy matter that I've mentioned about mm. the unlevel playing ground. So it's mainly been domestic issues that have plagued the broader economy that have then right. resulted in what we are seeing now. Um, coupling that, of course, with the overcapacity that I've mentioned yeah. earlier. Okay. Um, and then that just creates a loss making environment and not sustainable okay. to run that. Stuff. So, simply put, they need electricity 24-7, and if they can't get a 24-7 ESCOM problem, they either need to self-generate, and that's a complexity. Secondly, they need uh, trains and trucks to bring to them the ore, and if you've got logistic side problems, that also creates a supply-side risk, plus all these other issues around how the policy is set. So that combination of variables now has led to a slowdown in the steel manufacturing uh, industry, with about 290,000 jobs at risk. What's to be done? And I know that late last year, the Deputy Minister of Trade and Industry and Competition unveiled the South African Steel Metal Fabrication Master Plan. Is it just a master plan on paper or could it be the catalyst that's needed? Mm-hmm. So maybe the first part of your comment, I just need to also give context to that 290,000 rand um, employee mm. number. So we put out that number last week, and and it's a combat, it's a number of factors in that. The first part is also myself communicated that the direct plant level jobs at risk if this long business is going to be wound down about three and a half thousand uh, jobs. Okay. But what we then what that prompted us to do as the um, 
a CISA is then to calculate uh, what that would mean from a downstream point of view in terms of, because I mentioned that um, with the blast furnace, the products coming out of this long business can't also be easily replicated and at least in the medium term by the other production technologies. So in there as well, you then have jobs at risk and it's also structural factors that have contributed. So from an entire steel and engineering value chain, you've got the 3,500 jobs plus what we've estimated to be about another 45,000 jobs in the steel and engineering value chain. And then if you add multipliers to that of uh, six jobs induced by a steel sector job, you get to the 290. And that's a number over five years. So I just thought, let me just Mm. unpack that number to give it context. The steel master plan, yes, was put down as an important document. And we have, uh, in fact, part of our representatives, CISA representatives were signatories to that document Mm. um, released in 2021. Um, And we've been working on, we are involved on the various work streams, etc., trying to revive the industry. And there's there's since, in the last recent past, when ArcelorMittal have questions have been raised, and you might have picked up a bit of media around the fact that we spend so much time on this document, but then we have a, a, a ArcelorMittal outcome. Is mm. the master plan process working? And um, I think in the conclusion that we are seeing from there does need us to raise those questions right. as well as um, maybe potentially have a relook at the whole master planning process okay. because ultimately if we're not converting good policy into practical implementation plans, we actually are not um, moving yeah. the needle and we're actually not um, achieving what we intend okay. to, uh, to set up. Unfortunately, we've run out of time, but in a sentence, and literally a sentence, should we be worried? Is this a harbinger of bad things to come? Yes or no or maybe? Yes, we should be worried. Um, Arcelometer had a plant called Sadana. They also highlighted something similar and then they ultimately shut it down. So the point really is that it starts off with comments as is now and we ultimately had that. So we definitely should be worried. But uh, reform is maybe the point I'll leave it at. Um, okay. Reform in the policy around all these areas we've discussed will definitely unlock uh, potential. Tafazwa Chibanguza, thank you for your time. He's the COO of the Steel and Engineering Industries Federation of Southern Africa. News time. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.